with religion having such a central and important role in the newly formed Indonesia, Bali had to most definitely protect its culture in one way or another, and they decided to protect their culture by putting on the label of Hinduism on it. Let's hear more about this. Republic of Indonesia finally gained independence and defined itself as a country. It had a Ministry of Religious Affairs which dictates that there are official religions that exist in the country. At that time, and we're talking about the early 1950s, the Hindu religion didn't really exist and therefore Bali did not have an agama or religion and the Balinese government was eager to jump on the religion train. Why? Well, because regions that did not have an agama, they were more prone to to being converted or proselytized to the other religions, which at that time were mainly the Abrahamic religions of Catholics, Christians, and Muslims. So Bali was at threat and they had to do something about it and they had to act quick so they decided to actually reform their entire religion and their entire belief system so why hinduism well the hindu religion is actually an umbrella term for many different traditions each with its own set of beliefs theology saints rituals gods and many more and the Balinese followed a particular tradition known as Siwa Buddha. Siwa Buddha was the prevalent religious tradition that was there during the Majapahit kingdom. It's a blend of Shaivism or the worship of Lord Shiva, a Hindu god, and Buddhist beliefs. Therefore, Siva Buddha. That was quite simple, wasn't it? Well, the closest religious tradition, the closest world religious tradition that they could find was Hinduism. And Hinduism being extremely accommodating can actually just help the Balinese out and become that umbrella term for the various indigenous beliefs that the island had, along as unite and perhaps even help the other indigenous beliefs that existed in Indonesia at that time. However, before they were thinking about saving indigenous religions in Indonesia, they were thinking of the Balinese traditions and culture and adat or customs that they wanted to quickly get a label on. So they asked help from the Hindus of India to actually formalize their set of beliefs. It's easy to adopt Hinduism when you already have Sanskrit names, gods, and mantras. However, they were missing something that was extremely crucial for the Indonesian government. They didn't have one god. Yeah, remember Pancasila, the first 
important ideology of the country of Indonesia was belief in one and only God. Well, is still belief in one and only God. And they were missing this one God. There's a whole pantheon of gods, goddesses, spirits, and creatures that made the... Um, the family of of the Hindu gods of Bali. However, they were missing one particular deity that they could enthrone as the supreme godhead that, that sits above all. Um, so they were suggesting a few names. There was Paramasiva, or the supreme Shiva, which is a very Shaivite term. There is Narayan, or Vishnu, a very Vaishnavite god, a very... Uh, Vishnu-oriented god. However, they opted for a Javanese terminology or Javanese title to a god, that is Ida Sangyang Widiwasa, which um, I would translate as the supreme, all-knowing, ever-present god. And Ida Sangyang Widiwasa then became the supreme god, the, the monotheistic deity of Hinduism in Indonesia. And this god is akin to the Brahman in Hinduism in India. Brahman basically is a divinity. It's, it's a divine light or divine energy. And the different gods that we see are mere manifestations of this one Brahman. So this idea and, and this philosophy or, or theology in fact uh, was then adopted by the Hindu Balinese and the name Brahman which was a bit too Indian oriented was then changed to Ida Sangyang Widiwasa. So if you ask a Balinese today who is the god that they worship they would say Ida Sangyang Widiwasa even though this god has no gender, no particular form, no particular pastimes or stories it's um it's just a god and it existed since the 1950s before that there were many gods and now there's only one with the help of the hindus of india they were then able to also codify how one should pray as a hindu they made the three sandhya prayers the three three sandhya basically means three um times of day or three conjunctions of the day and these three times of the day when you are times when you are supposed to pray so they combined different mantras from various different sects and traditions within hinduism and made sets of of the three sandhya mantra the first mantra of the three sandhya is the gayatri mantra which is extremely important in hindu india and well, Hindu globally, as you can say, and therefore it was extremely crucial for the Balinese to adopt that as well. However, they also had to have a set of beliefs, just like how the other religions in Asia had set of beliefs. Hinduism too needed to have a standardized and easily um, transmittable belief system. So they made something known as Panchasrada, or five essential Hindu beliefs, which makes one a Hindu. The first is belief in Brahman, or belief in a monotheistic god. Um, in this case, it's Ida Sanghyang Widiwasa. This god has many different forms and attributes and names, but eventually it goes into one. Yes, we discussed this one before. 
The second is Atman, the belief in the soul, that the spirit soul exists. It's distinct from the body, it's eternal, and it is an infinitesimal part of the supreme god, Brahman. Afterwards, it's Karma Fala, or Karma. And, well, we kind of know what Karma is, right? These are deeds, deeds which can be good or bad, and which has particular results to whatever activity you perform. The fourth would be samsara or reincarnation, which basically means that the soul um, goes into different bodies um, according to the karma. And eventually, the fifth one is moksha or liberation. The soul can eventually get release from this cycle of birth and death and attain liberation. So there's three sandhyas which is the main mantras that everyone chants. There's Panchasrada, which is the belief. Next is how to pray. And they made Panchasamba, which means basically five prayers. These are five different set of mantras that one would chant, along with different offerings of flowers and incense that one would raise up in an Anjali Mudra or that, that Namaste Mudra above their heads at the Pura or at the temple. And this too was all codified and made. Why? Why all of this had to be written down and why all of this had to be formalized? Well, it's because there was no unity in how Hindus in Bali would pray at that time. Or I wouldn't say Hindus of Bali, but how the people of Bali would pray at that time. They had to make these Balinese people Hindus. And they had to make sure that anyone from any different ethnicity could then become a Hindu. Um, they also had a problem that there were also already Indians in Indonesia um, existed. Well, my family is one of them for sure. And um, they had to also, you know, adopt a Hindu label. And there was also other indigenous beliefs all over the country that were quite keen to join the Hindu label as well. Because... Hinduism was the, was that religion that could still safeguard their indigenous practices. So they had to make sure that there was a particular way of praying and a particular set of mantras to chant in order to unify the entire religion and make it more organized and formalized. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be unto him, is extremely important in Islam. So is Jesus Christ, um, extremely important in, well, Catholics and Christian religions. And Abraham and Gabriel and many different characters with prophets and angels are essential to Abrahamic religions. Well, Hinduism had many saints and Hinduism had many stories of, of saints and, and divinities, but it didn't. It doesn't really have a founder, but it had to have a particular prophet that stands above all, because that's one of the requirements of being a religion in Indonesia. So Veda Vyas, the compiler of the Vedas, the sacred text of the Hindus, was then enthroned this position of being the prophet of Agama Hindu. Now, initially, the name Agama Hindu was Agama Hindu Bali, but considering that Hinduism could then be used for the rest of the country, they adopted the name Agama Hindu Dharma. Hindu Dharma is a very all-encompassing term for the entire Hindu tradition, 
and they wanted to make sure that this particular religion could be applicable to everyone, um, not only aid the Balinese. And with the jurisdiction of Kamantrian Agama, or the Ministry of Religious Affairs, they had a particular uh, Directorat General um, Kemasyarakatan Hindu, Dirjen Bimas Hindu, and this is a particular um, body or particular section of the ministry that dealt particularly with the Hindu population and Hindu affairs. So every single religion in the Ministry of Religion has an office or a particular department or section. And within this, there is a particular board of Hindu intellectuals or Hindu priests and, and, and gurus. And this was called the Parisada Hindu Dharma Indonesia. Initially, it was just for Bali, but later on it adopted a more nationalistic role. Parisada Hindu Dharma Indonesia is similar to the Council of Ulemas in, in, in Muslim circles or the, 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 the church in Christian and Catholic circles. It is basically a board of holy men who would then further codify the religion, handle with affairs of the religion, and form as the PR of Hinduism and also liaise with government officials anytime there is a need of anything to do with the Hindu religion in Indonesia. So Hinduism already had to codify, it had to form something, and it had to become an Agama Hindu Dharma and have a very bureaucratic system of governance. Eventually, there is an issue. Um, you have a religion, Agama Hindu Dharma, which is an umbrella term for any sort of indigenous belief, particularly those found in Bali. Um, but there's also local gods and, and, and local traditions, right? And they didn't really match with the Hinduism of India. Um, eventually, what Hindu Dharma is, it's just a label. It's, it's not really thoroughly followed. If you look at the Hinduism found in India or anywhere else on earth and you compare it with that found in Bali, well, it's really, really different. I can tell you that for sure. And this is where the schism comes in and this is where the, the complexity really comes in, right? You have a world religion, uh, a label of a world religion, put on an indigenous belief system um, which at some point kind of conflicts Hinduism for example there is meat and alcohol and even blood used in Hindu Bali sacrifices this is not really found too much in India today and what's happening here is that at one point of time Hinduism, various traditions and branches, even conflicting theologies of Hinduism flourished in Indonesia. 
they all became one and consolidated to one particular set of beliefs, um, even adopting traditions and belief systems from China. Therefore, you have the Buddhism, the, the Buddhist elements, right? So you have Buddhism, you have um, Vaishnavism, the worship of Vishnu, you have Shaivites, the worship of Shiva, you have the Tantra traditions, which tend to involve a lot of meat, blood, and, and, and sacrifices and mantras, along with diagrams or yantras. You have the uh, Linga Yoni worship, or the phallic uh, worship of Lord Shiva. You have uh, Bhairava Tantra cults, which are darker methods of worshipping Lord Shiva, which sometimes even includes um, very um, particular sacrifices for lower entities. And you have the, sh- the Shaktas, or the, the worshippers of the Divine Goddess. You have the Ganapatiyas, the worshippers of Lord Ganesha. And you have the traditional Brahmins who adhere to the Karmakanda portion of the Vedas, which focuses more on sacrifice over theological disputes. So you have this whole variety of, of Hindu traditions all living in harmony in Indonesia. In India today, they are very much segregated. Um, you would have different Shiva temples, different Vishnu temples, different Durga temples. And they don't really mix one another. They, they kind of live separately. That's why families would abide to a particular tradition and stick with it. Or there would be lineages. Guru disciple Sampradayas or Guru disciple Paramparas. Which are disciplic successions that one would follow and one would be initiated into. Now in Bali, with all the different saints and all the different preachers and all the different texts. All of it just got mushed up into one plus the local indigenous beliefs and deities and folklores and and, and stories and beings all of it just became one big dish that is now known today as agama hindu dharma so you can imagine how different it must be from hinduism found elsewhere and that's what really makes it extremely unique extremely beautiful because it is a very aesthetic religion but it does come with its own problems for example hindu agama hindu dharma focuses more on sacrifice and offerings rather than theology and philosophy why well because the offerings can all be pretty much unified in the entire family of Hindu traditions in Indonesia, particularly the local belief systems in Bali. But theologies and the philosophies, that's where it gets a bit conflicting. If you speak to a Hindu intellectual today, the major philosophical and theological belief system is that of Shaiva Siddhanta, or that of the worship of Lord Shiva. So the three main gods would not only be Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, but the three main manifestations, primary manifestations of Indasakyangudiwasa would be Paramasiwa, Sadasiwa, and Siwa. These three Shivas would be, theologically speaking, the primary manifestation of the one god. And then from 
these three Shivas exist other deities and beings, including the souls. So this is a very Shaivite perspective of theology and um, of, of ontology. And, you know, this is, this is where the, the conflict comes in, right? Because you have this label of Hinduism, yet you have a philosophical and theological understanding of one particular tradition within Hinduism, and you have the practice of indigenous animism, of worshipping mosques and trees and rivers and springs and mountains and volcanoes. So it, it can get really confusing. However, it is still possible for all of it to live under the umbrella of Agama Hindu Dharma, under the edges of the Parisada Hindu Dharma Indonesia, and be recognized by the Kamantrian Agama or the Ministry of Religious Affairs. It's very much likely that this Agama Hindu Dharma would sustain itself and would remain as a label to protect local indigenous beliefs, particularly those in Bali, of course. However, what's really important and the homework of Hindu intellectuals in Indonesia today would be to ensure that there is a dual purpose at play. On one hand, there should be a proper preservation of what Hinduism actually is. Hinduism does welcome various traditions and philosophies and theologies. It is not a uniformed religion. That's it, it just isn't. And even though the country of Indonesia wants it to be a uniformed religion, in the end of the day, it's just extremely accepting to a variety different uh, to a variety of different belief systems and gods and and theologies. And on the other hand, there needs to be a protection of local belief systems, which did predate the arrival of of Hinduism from India or Buddhism from other parts of Asia. So there's a lot of homework at play. And the Indonesian government does mandate education of religion in schools all the way from a very young age of, I think it starts from primary school and goes all the way up to, yeah, definitely to high school. And there's, you know, assignments, assessments, tasks and grades assigned to religion classes in the country. So there's a huge potential here of how the intellectuals of Agama Hindu Dharma Indonesia could um, solidify the religion from inside by proper education and by proper preservation of local cultural beliefs at the same time maintaining the openness of Hinduism the very same openness that allowed their own Balinese beliefs to be accepted by the global Hindu family <laughs>